And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation 19, verse 17. Revelation 19, verse 17. We're in a series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow, from the book of Revelation. And this is the Word of God. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds to fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're glad this morning we do have that word that is true and it's certain. Father, take that word now which gives life, Father. Give us understanding of it by your Spirit, Lord, of how to, how to see things, Lord, how you want us to live, how you want us to speak, how you want us to serve you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation has given us a lens by which we look at history, the present, and even the future through different perspectives or different angles as it's gone through seven cycles of visions given to John. Each of the cycle visions has been more and more revealing, and when it comes to viewing evil, particularly, each more gruesome. Today's text is particularly vivid in its description. So let's remember the context. In chapter 18, God judges and destroys the great prostitute. Babylon, the city of man, represents uh, the end of seeking materialism and self-effort as a substitute for God. People made in the image of God, seeking instead to be God. As Babylon falls, the world mourns, but the people of God are called to celebrate. Not because of their contempt for the world, but because God's been shown to be right and holy and just, in contrast to the world's wickedness and evil. So chapter 19 began with a celebration. And we read part of that in Declaration of Truth this morning. And then we saw three weeks ago the greatest invitation, the most desired invitation in all of history, the invitation given to the wedding supper of the Lamb, that great coming event in which we who are believers in Jesus Christ will be dressed in white fine linen, given us by God Himself as we, the church, the bride of Christ, await our groom, Jesus Christ. And then last week we had the portrait of the triumphant Christ that D. read as our call to worship this morning which describes Jesus like no children's church teacher ever does. They're not hearing this back there this morning. I know the teacher well. Uh, This is a horse-riding teacher, uh, horse-riding Jesus, rather, with eyes like flames of fire, and he's wearing robes that are splattered with the blood of the people he's triumphed over. Uh, He has a a sword coming out of his mouth uh, that triumphs, by which he slays the nations. There's a name written on his robes and, and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And following him is an army, and it's us. We're on our own horses, and we're wearing fine white linen. 
And we're carrying no weapons. It's the people of God from Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah down through the present age. It's the church universal. And we're following the horse riding Jesus uh, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords goes into battle. Now what happens when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords goes into battle? The great battle. And a very logical question. Who can stand against the king? Let's go to the text and see. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God. So an angel gives an invitation. And he's in the glaring bright sun to, to give him glory. He invites all the birds flying overhead. Asks them to come and gather, not for a wedding feast for the great supper of God. And at first blush, I think of my backyard and its cardinals and goldfinches and blue jays. Or maybe it's tropical and you think of parrots and flamingos, uh, uh, peacocks, I don't know. Summoned to a celebration, all those things reflecting God's glory. Then we read, the birds in mind are not those, but the turkey vultures that sit on the, on the steeple up there. All right? And they sit up there and they keep our roadways clean of all the dead animals we have out there. Uh, and uh, and it's other carry-on like them that's pictured. Because what's described here is not some sumptuous feast that any of us would enjoy. But listen again to what it is. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And so, you know, that's... It's not the first time I've read that. I've read this before. And you go back to Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we see we have. And there the prophet of Ezekiel is talking about an invasion of Israel from the north, which is typically where the invasion came from. Uh, and this time, Gog and Magog there. And scholars are not wrong to connect the word picture in Ezekiel with the word picture here. In fact, the chief feature of each is the glory of the name of God that we'll see in 39.7. And the invasion comes in Ezekiel, and God repels it and saves His people and renews His relationship with them. That's what we have here. Listen to Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all beasts of the field. Assemble and come together from all around to the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. A great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel. And you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you're filled, and drink blood till you're drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. And so yes, you've read this before. An invitation given for the birds to come to supper. Now some scholars who, who see the connection of Ezekiel and Revelation Spend a great deal of time trying to determine whom Gog and Magog is here attacking Israel today. As we said last week, remember, this is a spiritual battle. Now, how does it turn out? We'll look at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So the battle scene said, it's like the, the Philistines lined up against uh, the, the Israelites. It's like the allied forces in World War II lined up against the Axis forces. 
So how does it unfold? Well, stunningly, in the blink of an eye, it's over. I mean, look at the text. Do you see any battle? No battles described at all. No movement of troops. No shots fired. It's over. And the beast was captured, and with it, false prophets, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs for which he deceived those who received the marks of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Two of Jesus' greatest enemies and two of the church's greatest enemies are captured. The beast represents all the governments of the world that have oppressed and persecuted the church across the centuries. From the Romans who were persecuting and oppressing John's first century readers to the Chinese today and the North Koreans and the Iranians and the Canadians and yes, even our own government. Turning the church into the enemy of the state with varying degrees of oppression and persecution. Likewise, Jesus captures the false prophet and he represents all the false religions ever who have tried to woo people away from a grace-based Christianity where salvation is a gift from God to works-based salvation of all types, from people seeking to glorify the true God to those seeking to glorify themselves, from those who receive God's gift of eternal life to those who exhaust themselves, uh, frantically trying to earn eternal life. The 21st century has been seen the worship of self and feelings become the newest religion. Removing God as creator via evolution. World leaders and governments have declared themselves to be the lords of nature. They've declared war not only against coal and cattle and now even rice, by the way. Another great enemy of the state um, with its methane gas. Um, We need rice to eat, I'll just point that out. Uh, But they've turned on the very reality of male and female. The sanctity of the family is the building block of society. A radical secularism is our nation's fascinating religion. It's a religion obsessed with sexual freedom, transgender mutilation, and abortion. Now the United Nations has weighed in with a report that there should not be an age of consent between minors and adults. Today's secularism makes children independent of their parents. One mother recently took... A doctor, her child to the doctor, a six-year-old with a sore throat. The child would not open her mouth for the doctor. And the mother's response was, well, her body, her choice. So the beast and the false prophet, good news, are captured. They're thrown into the lake of fire, the one that burns with sulfur. And they are there, and they will be there forever and ever. Daniel seven eleven describes a similar way. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Friends, make no mistake, if we compare verse 8, 19 rather, with what we saw in 16, 14 and 11, 7, what we'll see again in 28 and in Daniel 7, we're talking about the same war from different angles, different views. Well, what about the armies of the beast and the prophets? Uh, if that's the fate of the leadership... What about the followers? And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. 
and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Notice these armies that follow the beast, that follow the prophet, are not slain by conventional or nuclear weapons, nor by Star Wars technology, but by the sword of Jesus himself, the mouth of God. The same word of God that brings life to those who believe in Jesus brings judgment on those who reject Jesus. And those armies become bird food for the vultures flying overhead. Please note, this is, this is more than a picture of some final futuristic battle that's yet to be. This is now, we battle now with the satanic powers of rebellion and sin. Right now, the battle lines are drawn against God, against His anointed, as Psalm 2 tells us. This is where we live in right now. And one day Jesus will bring it to an end. That's why the scriptures the Gideons give out are important. This is why we proclaim the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Friends, the battle here is a spiritual battle. It's being fought now. It's being fought by our own Emily on a distant continent against a resourceful and powerful enemy who only meets his match in the person of Jesus. It's about being fought in school board meetings across our nation. It's being fought globally in legislative bodies and library story hours for children. It's about being fought on the streets of Chicago and Dade, Alabama, and across Ukraine and Sudan. But I can tell you what the really good news is of this text. The really good news about the battle is the message of the text, and that is Jesus wins. Jesus wins without firing a single physical weapon. The world powers of sin and spiritual rebellion, the false religions that deceive and lie to the nations, all are dispatched to hell as the word of Christ slays those who follow them. You see, if the world will not embrace the promises of gospel mercy that Christ's word brings us in life, then it must endure the promises of judicial wrath that same word brings at the last day. So the conclusion of history, when Christ appears in glory, no matter how fierce and terrible the the raging nations appear, Christ, the warrior king, need only speak and judgment falls. Christ speaks through his people. And victory takes place. The world powers dominated by sin and spiritual rebellion. The false religions that deceive and lie find themselves totally defeated and cast in the eternal lake of fire. And friends, when the world will not embrace what Jesus says, the promises of the gospel, then that same word that offers eternal life brings about God's judicial wrath. So I tell you, no matter how threatening the rage of the nations becomes, no matter how strong they seem, ultimately, Christ's word will defeat them. The King of kings and Lord of lords who spoke the universe into existence, but speaks again, and judgment falls. As we read this chapter, it becomes clear that this great supper of of God, it's a parody of the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
And what I'm about to say is going to sound harsh and maybe graphic, but, it, but it's a startling truth we've got to come to grips with, and it's this. We're either on the, the wedding supper of the Lamb invitation list, or on the menu of the great supper described here. You know, there's a much in demand invitation meet circuit around the world today, and I keep watching my mailbox for it. The invitation to King Charles III's coronation on May 6th. I'm a little bit surprised I've not been invited. Um, so obviously I have no advice on you how to get your own invitation. Can't help you there. But I tell you that even if we were to secure that invitation by some chance, it absolutely pales in comparison to this invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The one invitation is earthly and temporal, but the one that counts is heavenly and eternal. And I can tell you how to be sure you receive an invitation with eternal significance. It's given to all who by faith place their trust in Jesus Christ and take Him at His word that His death on the cross is for us and His resurrection is for us. And our response is to believe God's Word and receive Him as our Savior and Lord and receive His gift of eternal life. So when we repent of our sins and we believe the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins and we're saved. And we can know we're invited to the wedding supper. And if we refuse, we're lost forever. And we can know we'll be on the menu one day. Keep in mind that every knee, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And either we will lovingly submit to His offer of peace through His death or we will stubbornly surrender before His righteous judgment. And so what about us? And why the repeated story? Why do we get the same battle story uh, told so many different ways in Revelation? Because very simply, we need to hear it again and again and again. And again, because of the world around us. The more oppression and persecution grows, the more confirmation we need that Jesus wins. See, God doesn't want us to just know that He wins in our hearts. He doesn't want us to just know it in our heads. He wants us to know it in our bones. He wants us certain that as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. That I'm His and He is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. And another reason to repeat the battle again and again, is that the stakes are incredibly high. We've talked about this before in Revelation, but, but here hell is called a lake of fire with sulfur bringing in some additional pain. And you had the birds of the air coming and picking at the bodies of those who reject Jesus. Friends, hell is a place of unspeakable suffering. That if we grasp really how terrible it is, we'd never listen to it or say the word in a casual or profane way. We simply would not. And we would never wish it on our worst enemy, not even Vladimir Putin himself. There is gospel motivation in noting how horribly 
awful hell is. God says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And friends, that should reflect our heart because that's the heart of God. Hebrews reminds us, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Finally, confirm for us, each time we hear the story, each time we think of the triumphant Christ, is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The news around us is not good. The Covenant School, Dade, Alabama, Maine, Louisville. The shootings continue and Satan seems to be winning. But friends, Jesus is triumphant. Jesus wins. Persecution is a daily reality for millions of believers. But Jesus wins. Truth and common sense will be turned upside down. May I just ask, in what universe does anybody really think drag queens ought to read stories to preschoolers? Psalm 12 gets it right. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. But Revelation assures us again and again and again that though the battle rages, Jesus wins. And when I look back at my life now, I realize more and more the impact of, of growing up in the shadow of World War II. A world where, where people knew that life is war. I grew up in a world where almost every adult I, I knew had sacrificed in some way for the cause. The songs we sang and the hymns we sang reflected that mentality. We understood that we're engaged in battle and the stakes are high. There's children we sang, and perhaps the children, I know they still do here. I'm in the Lord's army. Stand up, stand up for Jesus was a staple among our hymns. Uh, we sang onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. Christ, a royal master, leads against the foe. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the cross of Jesus constantly will remain. We sang, sound the battle cry, see the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. Gird your armor on, stand firm everyone. Rest your cause upon his holy word. And yes, those hymns constantly remind us that life's a battle. Because it is. And Jesus is a warrior king. He is the triumphant Christ. And I'll say at times maybe I failed to, to deliver, to, to, to drive this battle's reality home across 47 years of preaching. Now I know we want to be as winsome as possible. But all around us the battle's raging. That's why we've called this series Strength for Today and Hope for Tomorrow because we need that. I mean, the church faces persecution. You realize our own FBI in this country was seeking to infiltrate Catholic churches. Who would be next? Think about that. Canada, our north, seeks to silence pastors. United Kingdom, a woman is arrested for praying silently outside an abortion clinic. But remember, the power of God's word will not be stopped. We must keep passing it out. We must keep proclaiming it, we must keep believing it, and we must keep living it. 
Because it is the sword that comes from Jesus' mouth. We must keep before us the vision of the triumphant Christ. Let's pray. Father, your, your word is true. Your word declares to us who you are. Your word declares to us words of salvation and hope. Your word outlines history and your triumph. Your word outlines the task before us as your people. Father, find us faithful, we would pray. Find us courageous, we would pray. Find us aware of the battle that's raging day by day by day all around us. Father, help us to use uh, prayer, Lord, uh, Lord, to defeat the enemy. And use your word to defeat him as well. Father, somebody here that doesn't yet know the joy of knowing life in Jesus Christ, Father, Father, today, show them Jesus. Show them His death. Show them His resurrection. Show them His offer of forgiveness of sins to all who have placed their trust in Him. And call them to yourselves, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.